And this morning, I want to talk to you about greatness. In particular, I want to talk to you about what it means for us to be great followers of Jesus. And uh, hands up if you've ever heard the term the goat. Yes, a few people, a few people. Well, I don't mean this. What I really mean is this. The greatest of all time. Now, you may have been in uh, many debates about who you would consider the greatest of all time. Now, this is mainly used to describe different sporting personalities. So you may think maybe it's Djokovic, maybe it's Federer. Uh, You may think Serena or Venus Williams. You may think Michael Schumacher or Lewis Hamilton. Or you might have been probably the greatest one is between Messi or Ronaldo. Which, by the way, the right answer is always Messi. I won't have it any other way, um, but I've settled it. I, whoever booed, you're wrong. Um, now, all of them are known for their great achievements, aren't they? For their success. They've all been at the top of their sport. The fact I can even just mention their names, and most of you in this room will know what they're famous for, says something in itself, doesn't it? But if I'm going to bring it a bit closer to home, I wonder what greatness would look like for each of us. How would you finish the sentence... My life would be great if. Maybe it's a couple of million in the bank account, a Ferrari on the drive, the mortgage paid off. Those ones are just mine. But maybe it's the dream job you've wanted ever since you were a kid or the promotion that you've been longing for. Maybe it's the ability to be able to travel the world. What does greatness look like for you? And none of these are bad things to hope for, But it's funny, isn't it, that when we think of greatness, what we tend to really think about is about wealth, it's about power, and it's about achievement, no matter what form that tends to come in. The assumption we make is greatness is about status. And as far as I can tell, this seems to be an assumption that all of humanity has made at some point or another throughout human history. And even in the Gospels, we see this at play. We see Jesus' disciples as no exception to the rule. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us of a moment where two of Jesus' disciples, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they asked Jesus for a position of great honour. They asked Jesus uh, that when your mission is complete, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit on your left and one of us sit on your right? Now to us, that's kind of like, big deal, just let them have their seats. But to us... It's, uh, but to them, in that time, in Jewish culture, where you sat spoke of status. It positioned you on the social ladder, how important you were. The closer you were to the host, or the closer you were to the head of the household, the more important you were perceived to be. And James and John, and John are gunning for the best seats in the house, and they're trying to buy the tickets early. And I think it's pretty safe to bet at this point that the reason they were asking for these seats was not necessarily because they just wanted to be close to Jesus. What I imagine is they wanted those seats because of the status they brought them. But they're obviously a little bit nervous about asking the question because like any big, strong, brave young men, they asked their mum to ask him for him. So... That's where we're going to pick up. So let's read together in Matthew 20, (coughs) starting at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. 
Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, that's the other disciples, by the way, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus flips the script on what greatness looks like as followers of Jesus. For us as followers of Jesus, greatness is not about being served, but about being servants. It's not about being elevated into high positions of authority and status. Instead, it's about walking in humility, about preferring others, giving our lives as a ransom for many. And this is not about a job position either. Jesus is not asking Jeff Bezos, who heads up Amazon, to step down and become one of the unpaid interns. Instead, what he's saying is it's about a heart position. Think of what the role of a servant is. A servant's job is to do all they can to make their master's life easier. It's not an equal relationship. The servant cannot expect the same treatment in return. The heart of a servant is a heart that looks to give over trying to receive. And this isn't just about how we serve one another. This is not just about how we serve the body of Christ, our community, or, um, this community in particular, Soul Survivor Watford. But this is instead also about how we love the wider community. It's how we love Watford and the people in it. As followers of Jesus, our love must extend from these walls and, from the ba- and be- go beyond the boundaries of this building to become servants in our workplaces, to our friends and family who don't know Jesus, to our neighbours, to the barbers that cut our hair, or the person working at the local corner shop, to all the people who seem just like us, and to all the people who feel like they come from an entirely different planet. How How do we become great in the kingdom of God? How do we become light in our world? How do we show the love that Jesus has for each and every person we encounter? We serve them. And in a moment, I'm going to draw out a a couple of things I see from the life of Jesus, which I think can help us as we begin this journey. But before I do, if you're anything like me, even as I begin to say some of this stuff, you might be feeling a little bit twitchy because this is one of those teachings where I am fully behind it in principle. But the reality is, and let's be honest here, I am far more comfortable with the idea of you being my servant than I am with me being yours. I'm probably not the only one. The reality of actually living this out is costly. It's time consuming. And quite frankly, it sounds exhausting, doesn't it? But the truth is that Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And we have to trust his words, that it really is more blessed to give than receive. 
Now, does this mean we disregard every boundary we've ever put in place and run ourselves into the ground after a week? Absolutely not. Even Jesus takes time to rest and recuperate, coming away from other people. And to live a life of service well, we must all try and figure out where that boundary lies for us, what that looks like in our own lives. And I don't know about you, but one of the things I find difficult about this is I hear the magnitude of the task. I hear those words, to give your life as a ransom for many. And I just become so overwhelmed by the size and the scale of what's being asked that I don't begin to even try. And with the new year rolling in, uh, I've made the most stereotypical uh, New Year's resolution that you can possibly think of. I've decided I'm going to try and lose weight, which uh, I'll let you guys be the judge of that in the coming weeks. And, but I've realized on the way that I'm a sucker for those classic motivational videos and those quotes that come up. And um, because I love them so much, I thought I would bless you with some for you this morning. So here's uh, a couple I thought that I think have particularly uh, stuck to me. So the first one is this. <coughs> a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Profound, eh? And the second one, this one comes, I don't know who said it originally, but it comes from my favorite deep thinker and philosopher, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. One day, or day one, boom. In six weeks, I'm going to look quite as big as him. I'm going uh, to need to grow a little bit, but uh, I'm sure I can work on that. Um, and whilst I don't, I don't take these quotes too seriously... The, perhaps it's helpful for us when looking at how we become great servants, at how we serve the people we encounter, <coughs> perhaps it's helpful for us to think about what the first step is. Maybe there's one person in particular that you feel the Lord is highlighting to you to serve this year. Maybe it's a particular setting or a community you feel the Lord is highlighting. Maybe it's your gym, your block of flats, the school gates, the street you live on. <coughs> Maybe today is about asking the Lord, who is that person? Where is that place for me? Who is Jesus calling you to serve? So how do we do this? I'm going to pick out just two things that I see in the life of Jesus, but there is so much more that I could say, and I encourage you all to go back and read the Gospels for yourself and just see what the Lord uh, points out to you as you read them. But the first thing that stands out to me is presence. Jesus spends a lot of time around people. We read him uh, and we read about him eating meals, going to the temple. We read about conversation he has on the road with people. He's a very present, in the moment kind of guy. Now, hands up if you are a married man in the room. Very good, well done, gents. Um, I've been married for three years now. And um, I imagine most men in a relationship have been through a similar scenario that I'm about to describe. And I'm not going to say it's always the problem of a man, but I just feel like men seem to be the common denominator in this. I'll let the ladies be the judge. So have you ever been in that situation where you've come home, you're talking to your partner, and uh, you realize they've got a problem, and you just respond with, have you tried ABC? I think if you did this, this, and this, it would be really helpful to you. And instead of the, oh, thank you, darling, that's really helpful, 
Instead, what you're presented with is a face that looks slightly more angry than when you began. And um, you, at this point, you're kind of wondering, is running away a, a legitimate option here? Um, but <laughs> I have a lot to learn in my marriage, clearly. But the response I always seem to get from my wife, Hannah, is I don't want you to fix the problem. I just want you to listen. And in John's gospel, there is this amazing story of when Jesus is on his way to visit his sick, sick friend, Lazarus. And Jesus makes his way back to where Lazarus lives with his sisters. But when he gets there, he finds out Lazarus has already become so ill and passed away. He's been dead for four days. <coughs> He's too late. And Lazarus' sisters say to him, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus responds by just saying, Where's, where is he buried? And they say, come and see. And they get there, and uh, it's at this moment, there is a really small, yet really profound verse in John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Now, when you know the rest of the story, Jesus gets to the tomb, he has the stone removed from the entrance, and he calls out to Lazarus for him to come out and be raised from the dead, and he does. The man who was dead for four days walks out of that tomb. This completely insane moment, this incredible miracle has happened. And the question I ask myself is, why did Jesus weep at all? He was on his way to heal Lazarus. He knew what was about to happen. He, he knows that in this moment, the man who's been in a tomb for four days is about to walk out again. This is not the end of the story. It's gonna be this incredible moment. And yet, he takes a moment to feel the sadness and the pain along the way. He shares in the grief with Mary and Martha. Before he fixes the problem, he's present with it. Now, if it was me, I would just be feeling way too smug about what's about to happen. I would want to um, be looking at them and be like, you wait and just see what happens here. There's no need to weep because I'm about to swoop in and fix this. But perhaps one of the ways we show genuine love, genuine care for the people in our lives is not by trying to fix them, but by instead being present with them, both when life is going really well and when it's going really badly. Perhaps one of the ways we can serve others is to, as the Apostle Paul puts it, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And presence requires proximity. You cannot serve, you cannot stand alongside someone from a distance. You have to be in someone's life to have presence in it. Before I moved to uh, Watford, I grew up in a seaside town called Western Supermare. And um, one night when I was 18, I woke up in the early hours of the morning to uh, a load of noise outside of my bedroom. And I, I came out and the situation that was in front of me was my dad was being treated by paramedics um, for what they thought was a heart attack. And it ended up being sleep apnea, but we didn't know at the time. And uh, they, they rushed him off to hospital to have him checked over and do all the things you do to check for a heart attack. I don't know what those are. Um, and I was left at home alone. And I, at this point, couldn't get back to sleep. Uh, you, as you can imagine, when something like this happens, your mind just races all over the place, doesn't it? So I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go to sleep. I'll just text a few of my friends and ask them to pray. They probably won't see it tonight, but 
at least I see it in the morning. And within five minutes, a friend of mine phoned me back up, a guy called Jacob Hobbs, who is actually now in this church as well. Uh, he, he's followed me here. Um, but he phoned me back and immediately went and said, like, how are you doing? Like, how's your dad doing? And I said, I don't really know. I'm pretty stressed and I'm probably not going to get back to sleep this evening. And he went, okay, I'll be right over. He didn't really give me much of a choice. <coughs> and so within the hour, it was probably around 3 a.m. in the morning, Jacob and our friend Josh arrive at my house and they just sit with me, they have a cup of tea with me and they stay with me through the early hours of the morning to the point where they have to go to work and I have to go to college. Now they couldn't fix the problem I was facing but they were present with me in it. For Josh and Jacob, this was just an act of kindness, a showing of support for their friend, probably just a small thing in their lives. But for me, the friend on the receiving end of that kindness, it was so much more. This was a moment of great significance in my life. I had never experienced friendship like this before. I had never experienced this kind of love from friends before. I never experienced anyone go out of their way just to show they cared for me like that before. Do you know what that does to someone? To know someone will be there for you, even in the early hours of the morning. That when you're facing something difficult in your life, they will be there. You can't buy that kind of love. And I want to be the type of guy who serves others in a similar way. I want to be the Josh and Jacob in other people's lives. Now, it's not always going to be such a dramatic moment that we're invited into. Perhaps what serving people through presence looks like is a steadfast friendship those little texts and checking in with someone, the encouraging words you drop into conversation or the offer to pray for their situation. Maybe it's the time you just go to coffee and check in with them. In a world where there is an epidemic of loneliness, we cannot underestimate the power of presence. Physical presence, emotional presence, spiritual presence. Being a light in someone's world is an act of service. What would our streets, what would our town, what would our world look like if we, this community we call Soul Survivor Watford, if all of us chose to love the people outside of these walls like this? So one way we can serve is presence. The other way I'm going to focus on is this. To bring people, their needs, their desires, the things they care about, the people they care about, before the Lord. In other words, what I'm really talking about here is we can pray for them. And I've got to be honest, I almost didn't include this in the talk because it feels a bit cliche. And isn't this just one of those things that you, is kind of the, the, what's expected of the Christian answer? It's, isn't it a bit of a cop-out to avoid doing the practical things that actually show people love? And as I call myself thinking this, I just had to check myself and ask, is that really what I believe prayer to be? Is that just how little I think that it's just about saying a couple of token lines and moving on. No, of course not. When Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I believed him. <coughs> I believe and I have seen the power of prayer, not only in my life, but I've seen it in some of your lives too. And in the lives of so many other people. <coughs> Apologies. And if prayer changes things, if it really does make a difference, 
then the unique position we sit in as followers of Jesus is that we can knock on the door of heaven. We can cry out to our Lord Jesus. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence on behalf of our friends who do not even know him yet. We as followers of Jesus have a unique gift, unlimited access to the almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God. What a privilege it is to use that access on behalf of our friends. And Jesus not only teaches us how to pray, but there are examples all over the Gospels of what Jesus prays for. He prays for the Lord to heal, like we saw with Lazarus, but you will read about so many others. Blind beggars, people with leprosy, the paralyzed. He prays that people will see and know the love and the glory of God. Even as he's being crucified, he prays that the people committing the very act would be forgiven. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He serves the people he meets by inviting God into the room, by bringing them their circumstances, their needs, their wrongdoings, their well-being before the Lord. It's a gift we also have the honour of being able to share. And so I ask for each of us, who are we bringing before the Lord? Who are the names we are petitioning on behalf of? Who and what other needs we are crying out to the Lord to come and meet? And last week in our staff meeting, Heather, who is our caretaker here, and also one of the unsung heroes of our team, uh, shared this story with us uh, as a team about her friend who had recently shattered her shoulder. And... Um, Heather's friend has shattered her shoulder so much so that she's unable now to walk her dog. So Heather has been kindly offering to take the dog for a walk. And one day they were catching up about the injury and um, Heather just said, what have the doctor said? How are you getting on? And the friend replied saying, well, it looks like I've done it pretty impressively. Um, I've shattered it so much that they think they might want to operate on it and put a pin in it to pin it all back together. And then she said, but I really don't want to have to have the operation. I don't want to have a pin put in it. So Heather took the opportunity to say, okay, can I pray for it? And I've just prayed that you won't need that operation. Now, side note here, notice how prayer and presence can go hand in hand. Heather had to be in this friend's life in order to know exactly what to pray for. But a couple of weeks go on, and when Heather and her friend catch up again, she asks about the shoulder, and they said, well, the doctors have x-rayed it, and it looks like things are going way better than expected. I actually don't need the operation. They're not going to operate and put a pin in it. And Heather just said, thank you, Jesus. And to which she said, her friend replied, yes, thank you, Jesus. Now, isn't that an amazing story? One of Heather's faithfulness and her courage to step out and ask even if she could pray in the first place, but two of the Lord's kindness. Who knows what would have been the case had Heather not prayed for her friend? Now, has her friend given her life to Jesus? No. But does she know that she's loved and cared for? Absolutely. Maybe she would just think her shoulder not needing an operation is a matter of coincidence. Or maybe she would begin to think that maybe God can make a difference in her life. But the thing is, the goal, the reason we do this, it's not so that we would look impressive. It's not for the good story. The reason we do this is because we love them. It's because we genuinely want to serve them. Who is it in your life you love and care for and you hope for their best? 
could you be bringing those people before the Lord in prayer? The friend who's started that new business, we can bring them before the Lord for the, and pray for new clients, for financial stability, for that friend whose marriage is struggling. We place them before Jesus and ask for joy in their home that maybe uh, peace and reconciliation and forgiveness can happen. For the person that can't settle in a, in a single job, we ask the Lord and cry out to him that they could find a place where they can flourish. And the beauty of this is that they don't even have to know you're doing it. While you may have the opportunity to pray with them, it may just be your secret between you and Jesus. And I don't know about you, but some of the most encouraging prayers I have found are the prayers I've prayed for on my own, the prayers nobody else would know, but you see them happen before you and you see the Lord answer them. But if inviting God into the lives of people we love is a gift, then let's be generous with it. Let's serve people with it. Let's pray for them as if every good thing that happens on this earth is reliant on our prayers. And so as I come to a close, how do we become great in the kingdom of God? We serve. How can we begin to serve? Through being present in people's lives and through bringing them to the Lord in prayer. And I wonder what would happen if all of us served those we interact with like this what could happen if we, the people of Soul Survival Watford, loved our town like this? We already do in so many ways, but we long to see even more. Prayer is a journey we'd be going on as a community, and this just is another step in the right direction. As a church, we want to be a, a positive presence in our community that we would make a difference. It's not enough for people just to call this building home, but my prayer is that each and every one of us would be so full of the love of Jesus that people would find home through us, through our love, through our care, through the way we serve. And I will leave you with a few words from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen.